Okay, welcome to Wednesday night Bible study, Epistle to the Romans, part three. Let's begin in prayer. Lord, we thank you again for this time, this week. We thank you for all that you're doing in the midst of uh, uh, the season that we're in. Lord, we just thank you that you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our heart to receive what it is that you have for us tonight, Lord, as we look at chapter three from this Epistle to the Romans, that uh, we desire uh, to understand what it is that you uh, placed in here, and why it's here, and how we, we can use it, and what we're supposed to do with all of this. So, Father, we thank you for those that are here, we thank you for those that are on their way, or couldn't make it, or those that are listening via podcast. We just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are guiding us through this study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as I've been saying in Romans, Romans is Theology 101, Christian Theology, but it's also theology in who God is. In other words, I put up here theology. Who is God? What is he doing? That's basically theology. But also from the children's church, it says the Bible tells us who God is. The Bible reveals the character of God directly through statements in the in the Bible. So anytime you open up your Bible, you're actually doing theology. You're finding out about God. So God reveals himself in the scriptures he also reveals his plan and purpose, and Romans is about the purpose of the church, but at the same time, there's what you know these doctrine statements, the belief statements in Christianity that are non-negotiable, and uh, you find all these statements in Romans, so tonight we're going to come up with a couple of them. But chapter 3 uh, kind of picks up where chapter 2 left off, and it's basically... The theme here, what we're going to kind of talk about tonight is how God reconciles the Jewish people and Gentiles to himself. So in other words, you have the Jewish people who wrote the Old Testament and was given to them, and then you now have the church come and now God is ministering to Jews and Gentiles. Paul explains how that works. And so this is where he begins this this dialogue and so, it's, but at the same time, he's revealing who he is. He's, he's revealing Christ, and uh, it's a real interesting uh, uh, passage here. So, chapter three of Romans, verse one and two. Then, what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. So, number one, the Bible is a Jewish book. I mean, I, I years ago, when I started studying the Bible, you know, that that really, you know, intrigued me that, okay, this is Jewish literature. If I'm going to understand it, I need to understand Jewish literature. I need to understand Jewish culture. And before I went to seminary, uh, years before I went to seminary, I actually took a, a course in Jewish Christian um, studies. In other words, how... Judaism influenced Christianity or how it's, Christianity is the outgrowth of, of Judaism and how the two things work together in telling one story. So he says, what advantage has the Jew? Well, in the early stages of Christianity, the Jew had an advantage because they knew the Old Testament. That's the Bible Jesus taught from. The New Testament was not written. So as Paul is writing this, you know, he's writing certain letters, you know, James's letter is there, but the New Testament is still, you know, many years away from being uh, put together and ratified 
you know, as as the New Testament. So what advantage has the Jew or what benefit is circumcision? In other words, following the law, the customs of a Jew. He says it's great in every respect. First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. So right there, there is an advantage that they had. So, because part of the problem was that Jews didn't associate with Gentiles and Gentiles didn't want to associate with Jews. So Paul has to break down that barrier. Paul has to now bring both sides together because the gospel is to be preached to everyone. So if you have two groups that are in opposition to one another, that's not going to go over so well. And so you don't want to have one group uh, with more power or more influence over another. But, uh, uh, you know, the flip side of Romans, chase a rabbit real fast. Romans is written to Gentiles explaining Judaism. When you read Hebrews, Hebrews is written to Jews helping Jews understand Gentiles. So Romans, Romans and Hebrews are kind of like the flip of one another. You know, one is written to Gentiles explaining Jews and what God was doing. And the other one is to Jews saying, okay, but, you know, now the Gentiles are coming in and the Gentiles are, are part of what we're doing. So it's, it's the two are good to read back to back. So Bible is a, is a Jewish book. That does not mean it's for Jews only. Right. Joe, God chose one nation to to carry the word, uh, but that did not make them exclusive towards salvation or anything like that. And there's, by the way, there's many instances in the Old Testament where non-Jews uh, were used by God and even came to faith uh, because of, of uh, the Jewish nation. Because if you remember, many times the scriptures in the Old Testament say to the Jews, that you're to follow who I am so that the people, the nations around you will know who I am. So in other words, there was just like the church is supposed to be a witness to the world, the Jews were supposed to be a witness to the world. So you will know that I am God. So, verse 3 and 4. Uh, what then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that thou might mightest be justified in thy words, and mightest prevail when thou art judged. The point here is, unbelief does not make God's word unbelievable. In other words, it's not based on whether they believed it or not. The truth is the truth. And so what he's talking about is the fact that when Messiah came, when Christ came, obviously there were Jews who understood, who got it, who followed Christ. And then there were others who had the same scriptures, had the same opportunity, chose not to believe, right? They, they opposed Christ. But he says just because they had it in the beginning and they chose not to believe doesn't mean that the word is not true. Okay, you know, it's, it's, it was their choice. It was a free will kind of thing. And uh, 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 so, again, uh, 
the revelation of God is not based upon whether someone wants to believe it or not. Because, you know, God is true. Who God is, 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 is there. Uh, whether I believe or not doesn't affect whether God is real or not. Verse 5 to 9. Now this is where he kind of mends and brings the two things together, the Jewish faction and the Gentile. And again, Gentile just means others, those that were not uh, Jewish or followed Judaism. So, So verse 5. It says, But if our righteousness demonstrates the righteousness, no, if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? Am I speaking in human terms? May it never be. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, as we are slanderously reported, that as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. Verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. So he says, whether you're a Jew and you have the scriptures, whether you're a Gentile and you're just coming to the scriptures, we're all, we've all fallen short. We're all the same. So he says, just because uh, they have a tradition, just because they were going to temple and you weren't, and just because, you know, they, they, they have the scriptures and, and, and you didn't, and, you know, and it was part of their, their, their history, doesn't change who God is, doesn't change the fact that all of humanity has fallen short, that all of humanity is born into sin doesn't change that so there's no group of people that are select above different than any other group some might beg to differ that but that's not what scripture says in judaism uh in current judaism today uh, a lot of jews will believe just because they go from this thing well we're the chosen people of god therefore no matter what we do we're we're going to make it we're going to be okay that's not scriptural at all but that's taking the word chosen and now making a whole theological thing around that word chosen you know uh, we're all chosen we're all chosen by god we're all created by god we're all chosen to to have uh, uh to receive the gospel, but not everybody, everybody does, you know. So, um, so we all fall short. We are all guilty. So the playing field right there, he's saying, whether you're Jew or Greek, the playing field is level. We have all fallen short. Uh, and then he talks about the law. Um, let me do this real quick. When you hear in the scriptures, and he's talking about the law. The law is basically the first five books of the Bible. 
five books of Yoti. Okay, that's known as the law. And that's what was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, the first five books. So it's the law that everything else hinges on. So one of the factors when they're looking at is, is another book uh, going to be associated with scripture? Is it is it uh, going to be accepted as scripture? It has to ratify the law. It cannot say anything opposite of the law. It has to confirm the law. Even New Testament has to confirm the law. And then you, what you hear, sometimes you, he will say the law and the prophets. You know, no, P-H. <laughs> prophets. This is Ezekiel uh, Jeremiah, uh, Nahum, uh, Jonah, uh, Samuel, the prophets. So when you're reading an Old Testament, uh, when, when you're reading a Hebrew Bible, it's going to be broken up into segments called the law, the prophets, and then another word, another one, the writings. That's the way they group it. And the writings are Psalms, Song of Solomon, uh, Proverbs. It's uh, literature. It's, 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 it's poetic writing. Daniel is in here. Daniel isn't put with the prophets because Daniel is written differently than the prophets. And so this is, so sometimes you, you will hear Jesus teach, well, the law says, what is he talking about? First five books of the Bible. Or he says, sometimes he'll say the law, or he'll say the prophets of old. What is he talking about? He's talking about those that wrote in the Old Testament under the heading of the prophets. And then sometimes you hear it say, well, you heard it written. It is written. Or the writings say. It's all law, prophets, writings are all referencing the Old Testament or what was known then as the Hebrew Bible. Same, same Bible. It's just grouped together differently. So when he's talking about the law... The law is foundational. The law is where you encounter God. The law is where Moses brought the people out of Egypt and they wanted to go to the land of milk and honey. They wanted where everything was going to be good. And Moses brought them to Mount Sinai where God thundered from the mountain, where God showed them his power, where Moses went up, received the tablets, the commandments, and then all, all the other writings in here. And so the law is now what shows us that we are sinners. Because the law is now God's standard of how we should be living. And we all fall short of that because we can't keep all those commandments. There's not ten commandments in the Old Testament. There's six hundred. 17 or 613 commandments, literal commandments. We don't even know probably half of those. We, we break them without, with, without even knowing. But the point here he's bringing in is that both Jews and both Gentiles have to understand the law because we're all going to be judged by the law. So when Jesus comes back, he's going to judge us, and he's going to judge us according to the law. You know, moral, social, uh, under the laws where you also get government regulations, under the laws where you get the, the, the priesthood, 
under the laws where you get how to treat one another, uh, thou shalt not murder, covet, all those things are, are under the law. And so when it says here in verse 5 to 9, you know that he's going to come back. He's going to, when God is going to judge us, this is something that we have to be aware of that whether you're Gentile, whether you're Jew, uh, we are going to be judged by God and he's going to judge us according to the law. Okay? And so um, the other side of that is if God does not judge us, then it makes the law null and void. What's the purpose of having the law if God's not going to judge us? What's the purpose of writing a law if no one's going to enforce it? Right? So if you have a law, there has to be enforcement behind it. And so the judgment of God is the enforcement of his law. And the Bible means book, uh, but the Bible is also referred to as the canon not like not like canon canon, but canon as in uh, from Latin as standard. In other words, meaning this is God's standard, and we have to uphold God's standard. And if we don't, we are going to be we 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 will be judged. And if we don't make it, uh, you know, this is where now. It begins to point to Christ. It begins to point to the cross. It begins to point to why Jesus had to come. Because all of us have fallen short of the law. The only one that can uphold the law is God. And that's why Jesus came. Because uh, he's the only one that could, that could judge us according to the law. Because he's outside of the law. He's not under the law. He's not bound by I mean, he's bound by it. But he does not break it. So... Um, Thoughts, questions on that? Because I'm just kind of building a little something to what he's going to be talking about. So that's why he brings the law in. And that's why you hear, you hear Jesus talking about the law so much. And then you also see when the Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus, they're trying to quote something in the law to make it sound like Jesus is breaking the law. You know, and, the, and then chase another rabbit. The crazy part about that is, that when they put Jesus on trial, it was Passover, right? And it was Passover night. You are not supposed to do any work. You're not supposed to convene any of your your things. And so what do they do? On Passover night, they say Jesus is breaking the law, but they're breaking the law by putting him on trial. But somehow that... You know, that, that doesn't register. But they're breaking the law by doing that. So that's the self-righteousness of the Pharisees and the, and, the, uh, and the Sanhedrin and those that were opposing Jesus. And again, that's what always happens, right? When people think they're above the law, they're self-righteous, right? The law does not pertain to me. Well, God says, yeah, it pertains to you. And we're all going to be judged according to the law. Thoughts, questions on that? I'm just trying to set something up as we're going through this. Okay, verse 10 to 19. Uh, this is going to be quoting uh, Psalms, different Psalms here. It says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. You can write this down. This is Psalm 14, verse 1 to 3. And it's also in Psalm 53, 1 to 3. 
There is none righteous, not one. So in other words, he's saying, again, we've all fallen short. This is what the psalm, psalmist says. There is no one who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. He's quoting Psalm 5, 9. The poison of ash is under their lips. That's Psalm 140, verse 3. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. This is Psalm 10, verse 7. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is Psalm 36, 1. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Boom. The entire world, all of us are accountable to the law. This is why when we preach the gospel, we, 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 we teach the law. We show them the law. Because they're, for someone to understand why do you need salvation, you have to understand what the law is. You have to understand that if you've fallen short of that, you're going to be judged for that. And you're going to either be judged guilty or not guilty. You fall short, you're going to be guilty. And all of us are guilty, and this is why the need for a Savior. Because we're all fallen short. And so he makes it real clear that this is God's standard. And he makes it real clear as he's quoting the Psalms, you know, that all of us, no one is above the law. No one can live under the law. We've all fallen short. We all have something. Again, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed. In other words, you can't justify it. Well, I did it because of this. Or, well, you know, if, if he didn't do this, I wouldn't have done that. No, the law is such that you can't, you can't override the law. You can't, you can't get a lawyer and, and, uh, and get off. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. And now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. So God is saying, here's my law, here's my standard, here's who I am, this is what I expect of humanity. Every single one of us, whether you're Jew, whether you're Greek, whether you're, you know, uh, uh, from some other place, Gentile, you know, others, uh, we've all fallen short. So through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So if we don't preach the law, this is why, again, chasing another little rabbit, I, I just cringe when I hear somebody say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian, or right? we don't go into the Old Testament because that's old, and we're we're, we're New Testament, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything that God is doing in the New Testament comes from the original scriptures out of the Old Testament. And we have to understand the law, because if you're not teaching the law, how are you going to teach someone to repent? There's nothing to repent of because they don't know what they've fallen short of. And that's why the law is so important. And that's why in the Gospels you hear so much about it when Jesus is is, uh, 
is teaching. In the New Testament, you hear so much about it when Paul is teaching. And again, the law points to the cross, the need uh, for a Savior, because we've all fallen short. Okay? Uh, any thoughts, questions there? Good? Okay. Verse 20 to 24. It says, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, being witnessed by those who wrote in the Bible. In other words, they're pointing towards the cross. They're pointing towards Messiah. That which was manifested. What God is doing, he's saying, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, speaks of it, points to it. So therefore, you should know of it. Because don't forget, he's reconciling Gentiles and Jews together. And he starts off by saying, what does advantage does the Jew have? Well, this is what they've known that you don't know. And so that's why he's taking them through this. He's saying, you as Gentiles, this is where you have to get up to speed. We have to understand this. So again, verse 21, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now, this scripture gets quoted a lot. Verse 23, for all have fallen short, uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But notice the context. Paul is writing, reconciling two groups under the law, under God's command. All have fallen short. Uh, so in other words, the law exposes our sin. Um, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. We are justified by grace alone, as I wrote down there for you. Uh, uh, not because we're a chosen people. It's We're justified by saying, God did this, Jesus did this on my behalf as a gift from God. In other words, I didn't work for it. I don't deserve it. This is something that, that solely and totally emanates from God to humanity. Okay? We didn't bargain for this. We didn't make a deal. Uh, we didn't say, God, if you do this, I'll do that. Uh, no. God saw us in our fallen condition, and God did this. This is generated from God. God is the one who controls all the action. Uh, and I think sometimes this gets missed because sometimes people will preach or teach that we have a bigger role in this. Uh, we can um, almost tell God what to do or we can access this and, and that. You know, it's, it's what God is doing. We are following what God has done, what God has said. And we're justified by grace alone. Now, Martin Luther came up in the late 1400s, early 1500s. Martin Luther um, was studying to be a, a, a lawyer. 
And he had a very rocky relationship with God. He was terrified of God. And the story goes uh, that one day he was in the middle, he got caught in the middle of a very bad thunderstorm. And he cried out to God and said, if you save me from this, I will commit my life to you. So he, he, he made it through. He didn't, he didn't die. So he decided now to become a priest. Okay. First thing you need to note in that story is there's no conversion. He's just scared. And so he says, God, I'll, I'll, I'll commit my life to you. But there's no acknowledgement of who God is other than the fact that he sees God is this big deity that's waiting to punish him. So he becomes a priest and he's always running around confessing his sins to the other priests to the point that when the other priests see him coming, they go the other way. Because here comes Luther wanting to confess his sins again because he never feels like God accepts him. Because again, he hasn't had a conversion here. He's, he hasn't had a conversion experience. This is all here. This is all based on, uh, you, you know, God, if you, if you save me, I'm going to do this. And this is where we need to be careful with the gospel because we don't want anybody to think they are, they're, they're in the kingdom of God uh, without that conversion experience, without that revelation of who God is and what God is doing. It's just like you don't want someone to come to the Lord because now they have a get out of jail free card. Well, I'm not going to hell anymore. Um, you know, no, that's not that's not what it's all about. And so Luther pretty much um, um, wears out his welcome in the priesthood. So they decide to ship him off to one of the seminaries. They, they decide to let him be a teacher. So now think about this. He's now teaching other priests. And he hasn't had a conversion until he reads Romans. And he reads this particular passage. What we're reading here in the, in, in the rest of this down here, and all of a sudden it hits him. It's not about what I do. It's about what God did. And at that point, he now comes up with a total revelation and he comes up with the five solas, and I put them down there for you. He says that salvation is by Scripture alone. In other words, God has given us his Scripture, and that Scripture is now enough for us to understand salvation, God's purpose, God's intent, what God is doing. We don't need anything outside of Scripture to, to show us who God is or what God is saying. And then the next one is faith alone. That if we believe the scriptures, we are saved by faith. So we're saved by scripture alone. We're saved by faith alone. Uh, remember uh, what Jesus said uh, when Thomas wanted a sign. He wanted to touch the wound. He said, blessed are those who believe who have not seen. Blessed are those who have not seen, because there's going to be those who are coming afterwards and were part of that who've not seen, have not had the, you know, ability to touch that. But because we extend that faith in what God is doing, um, it's, it's by faith alone. Then you have grace alone. In other words, this is what he's saying here. 
God's grace, God's favor, God is doing this. So in other words, God extends salvation to us through his son, through Jesus Christ, based upon our revelation and understanding of the law, that we've fallen short, that we are destined for hell, and therefore we are in need of a savior. And if we're willing to confess that, believe that, the grace of God is there for us. And that results in salvation. And then Christ alone. Through Christ alone, he is the only one who makes atonement for our sins. We can't work our way up. Uh, it's, it's not by anything. It's by believing that God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son to die for us. And then glory to God alone. So in other words, the whole picture is tied to this is who God is. Glory to God alone because it is God who, who did this whole thing. And so we give all praise, honor, and glory to God. So the solas are scripture, faith, grace, Christ, and God alone. But he gets this revelation and now at this point he has his conversion. Right here, based upon the scriptures, the scriptures alone. So now his repeated confession stops and all of a sudden he has this revelation and it's Martin Luther who now is the one that, you know, uh, brings forth the Reformation into into Christianity. That's a, that's a whole other teaching. I don't want to get too far into that. But it's, it's, it's that revelation that the big part of the revelation of, of, of the Reformation is we have to get back to Scripture and doing what Scripture says. Because at that point the church and the church was being controlled by Rome. They were doing a lot of things and coming up with man-made laws and all this other stuff. And he basically says, no, if it's not in Scripture, we shouldn't be doing it. Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, glory to God alone. And that the law and the prophets and the writings all point to this. So once he reads this and he gets this, now everything else now makes sense to him. That's why I say that if we take the cross here as Christ coming, and this is the New Testament over here, and this is the Old Testament, the New Testament is just the Old Testament pulled through the cross. So in other words, it's now this is now what this means to us because Christ has now come. Up to here, before Christ came, it was it was incomplete. So when Jesus is on the cross and he says, it's finished, it's finished. Now the new age begins, the church age, but it takes all of this and just brings it to the cross. This is now what this means, because Jesus has now come, ministered, uh, died, buried, resurrected, ascended to the right hand of God. That's what Christianity is. So it's an, it's, it's an outgrowth of Judaism. But it comes through the cross. So if you bypass the cross, now you're off the pages. Right? You have to stay, go through the cross because it's all pointing towards Messiah. And this is what he's saying here. What advantage does the Jew have? Well, they had the scriptures before you did. And if some didn't believe, that doesn't make it null and void. That's what he's saying. It's still the truth. Okay. Thoughts, questions there? There's some good stuff in here. Uh, verse 25 and 26. I'll read 24 just for continuity. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, our redemption, 
which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, our salvation. Now verse 25, 26. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because of the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That word propitiation there means appeasing the wrath of God. So in other words, what he said earlier, God is going to come and he's going to judge us according to the law. Without without a savior, uh, uh, the wrath of God will come upon us. But because we have a savior through Jesus Christ, through faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, uh, that now appeases the wrath of God. And, and what it really means when you, when you, when you break it down in, in Greek is that God is offended by our sins. Mm-hmm. So God is, is offended by, by, you know, because when you think about it, God has done all of this, and yet people aren't willing to follow and listen or, or even, you know, try. And so, you know, there, there, there's an offense there. So that's something to think about at some point when you're, when you're preaching the gospel to someone and say, well, why would God do this? Well, you have to realize, you know, that this is, our behavior is offensive to God. Our sin is offensive to God. That's why when David was convicted by Nathan the prophet, he, did, he, he said, I have sinned against God. Right? That's the first thing he says. You know, you know, he realizes what he did to, to the others, but his first thing was, I have sinned against God. Because he realized he has offended God by his actions. God who had given him everything. Right? I have sinned against thee. So, uh, let's see here. Verse 27. 27, 28. Where then is boasting... It is excluded by what kind of law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. In other words, what he's saying is we are justified by faith. Again, Martin Luther, faith alone. We are justified in saying one day we will be in heaven. We are justified in saying we have entered the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, right? That is our justification, what God has done. And what we have to do is extend faith in that. But you have to know to be able to extend faith. And again, going back to salvation, if we don't preach the whole gospel to someone, they could think they come to faith, but how can you come to faith without knowing the whole reason and the whole purpose behind it? Okay? So there, there's more there than just, you know, ask Jesus into your heart kind of thing. Um, and this is a doctrine statement. We are justified by faith. That's a doctrine statement. Justified by faith. Because blessed are those that have not seen and believe. And we believe it based on what? Scripture alone. We believe it what? Based on faith alone. We believe it on grace alone that God did this. We believe it through Jesus Christ alone and we give all glory and praise to God the Father 
alone. Verse 2930. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? And he says it right here. Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. So in other words, what he's saying there, he's making reference to the Shema, which is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, for the Lord thy God is one. This is what Jews would say before every service. In other words, saying that God is one, God is alone, God is soul, and we are made one with God. And so he's saying here, verse 20, if we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. In other words, it's by faith. We can't work our way up to it. Uh, 29, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? And then he answers his own question. He says, yes, of Gentiles also. He makes it real clear, right? So he's saying to those Romans, don't let anybody tell you or make you feel like you aren't worthy or you cannot come to Christianity because the same God that was dealing with the Jews all this time is, is the same God that is now speaking to you through the scriptures. Uh, verse 30, since indeed God who will justify the circumcision by the circumcised by faith, which is just a reference to Jews because they go through circumcision, and the uncircumcised through faith is one. In other words, the same God. Same God. We are all one. So again, this is the unity of the church. This is a unity with God, unity in Christ. We are all supposed to come together as one under God. It is, you know, God of all. It's a doctrine statement. God is the God of all. And, you know, when someone tries to say, well, God is this and God is that, you know, we have to be careful because sometimes even in Christianity, some people will say, oh, well, Muslims are... Are, 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 it's the same God because they'll try and tell you that from Abraham, you know, back that, you know, it's the same God and this and that. No, it's not the same God because they do not believe in Jesus Christ. They do not believe in the work of the Holy Spirit. It is not the same God, mm-hmm. you know, so don't let them tell you that. They want to tell you that or somebody else will say something, you know, like that. Oh, well, you know, God's this, God is that. You know, well, God is God of all. There is one God, and the scriptures reveal who that God is. Again, scripture alone. Uh, and then another, uh, um, again, faith alone, verse 30. You know, he's saying it's by faith alone. Whether you're, whether you're Jew or Gentile, it's by faith alone. Believing the scriptures, believing what God has done, believing that you've fallen short, believing that you need to repent, believing that God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. And then you confess that and believe that in your heart, the result is salvation. That is the gospel. And then he ends it with this. Verse 31. Do we then nullify the law through faith? Which is a good question. Because you know, he says, okay, now we are justified through Jesus Christ, right? So can now we do away with it? Because again, those that say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian, right? Can we now do away, away with the law? He says, he asks the questions. Do we then nullify the law through faith? And he says, resoundingly, may it never be, right? Again, what did Jesus say about the law? I did not come to do away, I came to fulfill, Right? 
everything that was said about me, I came to fulfill all that. And so Paul is saying here, do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. So in other words, our faith is rooted and grounded in the law. And so what he's saying to these Romans is, know your Old, your Old Testament. Know that Hebrew Bible. Know it. Uh, and, and again, this is why, again, in Christianity, if we don't go into the Old Testament, if we don't teach those foundational passages, if we don't understand the prophets and the law and all these things and how it was put together, we're not going to get a clear revelation of what God is doing in our view and the New Testament side will be warped. Right? We're not going to get the true the true picture of it because if we bypass the law, then there, there's a whole lot about God that we don't know, that we don't, we don't get. And so uh, the law is not done away with. It's established uh, by faith. So, thoughts, questions, comments? So, I mean, in just in 31 verses, he takes that Jew and Gentile separation thing and just brings it together and says, this is how it is. We're, we're, we're all going to be judged by the law. The law is a standard. We've all fallen short. It doesn't matter what your tradition is, where you were born, or all this other stuff. We've all fallen short. Uh, in his by God's grace that we are saved. We are justified by our faith in believing what, what God has done uh, through Christ alone, uh, through Scripture alone, um, God to God be the glory alone. So right there, he, he, he really, really breaks it down. Next week we're going to get in, he brings Abraham into the story. Abraham is known as the father of faith. So now that he's established it as by faith, now he kind of brings in, okay, this is how you develop faith. Because, you know, the story of, of, of Abraham is that he followed God. And at some point you have to ask yourself the question, why did Abraham follow God? Because it starts out, you know, and then Abraham, God spoke to Abram, Abram before his name was Abraham. God spoke to Abraham and said, leave your family and go to the land that I will show you. At some point you got to say, why did he follow why would he do that? But later on when you read in Scripture, and really you don't read it until it's you're reading Joshua, that you find out that Abraham's father was an idol maker. He made idols to the fire god. Yeah. And so the point is, he was around idol worship. He was around uh, what people worshipped as God, but none of them spoke to him. God speaks to Abraham. This is why he follows. Why do we follow God? Because he speaks to us. And so Abraham's journey is one of coming to faith. Because we look at that point in the end of Abraham's story. Well, not the end of it, but almost the end. Is when God tells him to take your son, who he promised. And now the son's a young boy. Takes him up and he says, put him on the altar and sacrifice him. And then you wonder, wait a minute, what is going on here? How could this guy put his son on the altar and raise a knife to him? And then, you know, God stops him. And you think, okay, God stopped him, great. But what does this say about Abraham? Because any of us would think, oh, wait, would I do that? But the point here is, and then we're, we're, we're going to get to it next week, is, is that 
his journey with God, following God, God reveals himself to him and God makes promises to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations and they come through you. And yada, 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 and the, and, the, and the child is born in their old age and all that stuff. Abraham now comes to the, he's called the father of faith because he knows that the promise of God is through the son. But he knows that no matter what he does, God is going to still, that son will still be alive. That son will still, it's not going to happen. Because God God promised that it's going to go through his son. So God cannot destroy his son. But you see, we don't get that if we don't follow the trail. And so that's why he interjects Abraham in here where he's talking about faith. And he says, look, at, this is how faith works. Because when you look at Abraham's story, he messes up along the way. Passes his wife off as his sister a couple of times because he's afraid he's going to get killed. And, you know, stuff like this. And God tells him not to take anybody and, and, and any of his family members. And he takes Lot with him. And it causes problems, you know, and all this stuff. But yet Abraham is known as the father of faith. Mm-hmm. Through that journey, he becomes that man that can now do that because he knows and believes it's through this son. Right? Thoughts, questions? So next week we'll pick up the story right there. Amen. Uh, let's just close in prayer. Again, Father, we just thank you for the for the power, Lord, that is in the scriptures. Lord, the, the scriptures emanate with your power. They tell your story, but Every word is the power of God. Every word is the breath of God. Uh, every every word comes from the throne room of God. Every word is for our edification. Every every word is for for our our, our our foundation, for our structure, for our guidance, Lord. And so, Lord, we we as we study the Romans, Lord, and the other scriptures, Lord, we acknowledge the power that is in Scripture the power of salvation, the power to change us from death to life, uh, the power to strengthen us and to heal us and to bring us together and to turn us into a people. For as the scripture says, once we were not a people, but now we are a people. And that we've been made a a kingdom of priests, uh, Lord, that we might serve you, Lord, that we might preach the gospel, Lord. And so, Father, we just thank you for these revelations, Lord, and may you continue to guide us, open our eyes to the scriptures, our ears and our heart to the scriptures, Lord. And so, Father, we just give you praise, we give you honor, and we certainly give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See you next week. See you Sunday. May God be with you and strengthen you and watch over you. Amen.